All right, copywriters, we got a very special guest this week. We've got Ben Settle, the master of email copywriting, joining us. But before we jump into it, I just have to give you a little bit of a warning. Ben was having some technical difficulties with his internet the day that we recorded. So we actually had to record this episode through a conference a conference call line. So the audio quality is not what you're used to on the copywriters podcast, but the content, the valuable information, the nuggets of gold in this episode are definitely what you've come to expect. So don't skip this episode just because of the audio quality. Make sure that you listen, make sure that you mine out the diamonds in this week's episode with our very special guest, Ben Settle. And here we go. Unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. And we are back in like the 1980s today, David. I know. It's um, it's sort of like the uh, Zoom and Internet gods and said, okay, guys, time for Back to the Future, right? <laughs> Apparently, but we have a very, a very good reason for it, and it's because in order to get this call, we have to finagle a little bit, but we've got a very – one of my favorite copywriters in the world, actually, is on the call with us today. Let's get started with our guest today. The notorious and endlessly fascinating Ben Fennell. He's an email specialist, author, anti-professional, and novelist. And there are some rumors that he is planning to be the reincarnation of William Randolph Hearst. We'll talk about that later. People go nuts over Ben, including me. Uh, once I read to him, you're the effing hottest email copywriter on the web now. But I wasn't alone. Our recent guest, Richard Armstrong, says, I start my day with reading from the Holy Bible and Ben Settle's email, not necessarily in that order. And the normally sober Gary Ben Savanga admits, good copy intoxicates me. Yours is high proof. I'm enjoying it. Well, that pretty much gives you a picture of what other copywriters think about Ben. He's, like, amazing. But Ben brings another skill to the party. Well, it is morbid, I have a morbid fascination with it, and Ben has agreed to tell us about it today. He writes horror fiction. <clears throat> Let me read you this from the promo copy for one of his books. And I, I, I was told, Ben, I may be pronouncing a couple, mispronouncing a couple of words here, so you can help me fix them later. Eh? Uh, Zombie copy, Enoch Wars, Enoch Wars, book one. And now the the passage. Um, if, if you're eating or drinking, you may want to listen to this part later. <laughs> the blood was still warm and there was meat and what looked like veins between his teeth hanging out like dental floss. Nobody knows where the still living decapitated head came from. But when they, but when the head bit a police chief Roger, he became a zombie with an insatiable appetite for human flesh 
revenge, and power. But unlike Hollywood-depicted zombies, he can think, speak, and strategize. He's also deranged, sexually perverted, and takes absolute pleasure in his evil acts. Hmm. Okay, I think you get the idea. So what does this have to do with copy? Nathan and I are hoping and praying we'll find out. And before we jump into the world of horror fiction, let's take a moment to remember some comforting words that help little children fall asleep safely at night. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if or and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Wow. Now let's get out our clothes of garlic for our personal protection and welcome Ben Settle. Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're moving and, and it's logistically difficult and really appreciate you being here. Hi. Well, I, I got to say, that was probably the coolest intro I've heard. But I'm, I, from a biased point of view, of course. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take it anyway. That's great. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's jump right in, huh? Um, a lot of successful copywriters are interested in writing fiction, but most of us, including me, uh, kind of balk when it comes to actually sitting down and, and writing a book. Um, not you. You got up on the mound and did. Um, so tell us, how did this part of your interesting career all come about? Well, I used to be very intimidated by the idea of, of writing anything long, like a novel. And my novels are fairly short. I mean, it's not like... I'm not writing War and Peace or anything like that, but yeah, this, about ten years ago, I just had I was driving along and I had this idea of a zombie cop. Like, what would happen if there was a, a zombified cop and he started pulling people over to eat them and kind of like a spider bringing flies into his trap? You know, what would happen? And then I just started writing. I, I don't know. I, I think it helps, though, that I've been doing daily emails for so long that writing no longer intimidates me. So I treated every chapter basically like an email. So I, I wrote – most of these books are 14 cha- – they're all 14 chapters, actually. And uh, I just would write one chapter a day, and I'd be done with the first draft. And, and how long is a chapter? Is it as long as oh, not, a short email? Long? Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're not that short, but, uh, you know, three, four, five pages – um, on average, probably six. I don't know. They're, they they seem to have gotten shorter with every book. So Zombie Cop was the longest, and by the time I got to the, last, the seventh book, I mean, it was basically a novella <laughs> at that point. And I don't know if that's because I ran out of stuff to say or if I just had tighter writing. I don't know. But it worked I out. I don't know. I, I mean, if, if you look at James Patterson's stuff, and he's sort of like the industrial author. I mean, literally, he he has a system, and he has other people do it and stuff. His chapters are sometimes one or two pages on, on the in, in the book itself, you know, printed pages. Uh, so that just may be the way things are going, and you're just part of the trend, right? Yeah, and just from a like just from a commercial point of view, and I haven't really heavily marketed these books at all, but you'll make a lot more money as a novelist writing shorter books than you will longer ones because you can get more books out, basically. And you know, the more you write, the more you make. And that's like the whole thing about writing. 
I've, I've learned this, and, and this is good for all of us who don't, we're not born with writing talent, which I certainly wasn't. Um, the whole key is the more words you write, the more money you make in any kind of writing profession. So if you just write a lot of words and you get faster at it, you'll make more money, including fiction. You know, that, that, that's actually a good point that a lot of people overlook. I'm really glad you brought it up. I mean, sounds simple, but profound. And a lot of people who are just waiting for the perfect inspiration or or scared or something, they're, they're only cheating themselves. So let's talk a little more about the book. When When you have an idea for a book, what are the steps you go through from, you know, driving down the road and thinking, oh, God, I hope the next cop who stops me isn't a zombie and eats me rather than a ticket, <laughs> to actually getting the book written? What do you go through? Well, you know, I, I had the idea for several years before I started actually writing it, probably like five years. And uh, I have a, a friend. His name's Robert Bruce. I don't know if you guys know him or not. He's one of the editors that – okay, so you know Robert. I mean, he's an actual writer, right? Like, he – like a fiction, like he, this is his thing. And I got to talking to him and I said, you ever have this idea? And he goes, better just write it. I go, yeah, but you know, I, I really suck at, you know, dialogue. And he goes, oh, don't worry about it. You just write as fast as you can and then go back and you can fix stuff later. And I realized it's not unlike writing sales copy. You know, you just get it down and then you can go back and what did I say about movies? The movies are actually really made in the editing room. Not in, you know, and that yeah. found to be the yeah. same case. So, um, how, how many how many horror fiction novels do you have? Um, seven. It's 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 a seven book series. Um, I'm actually not done with it yet. I'm done with the series, but I'm going to create what I call an Omega edition, which is going to be all seven under one cover. And later this year, I'm going to write a series of short stories that are going to be like a novel in itself. They're all kind of linked together that kind of fill in the gaps. But, things I left dangling in the book. And I'm going to put that in there and then a bunch of appendix chapters. It'll be this, you know, a pretty big book. And then, then I'll be finally done with it. And, and is that going to be it? Or are you going to um, you, you enjoy this enough so you want to do other stuff? Well, you know, I, I do want to do other stuff. Um, but I have this bug to actually take a shot at turning Zombie Cop into a screenplay and just seeing what happens. And that, wow. that's kind of... Yeah, I would love to do that. Well, you know, just, just based on those three paragraphs, it, it definitely has possibilities, um, seems to me. And, and, you know, that and seventy-five and, and Gold, Oregon, and Gold Beach, Oregon is going to get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. But anyway, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we talk a lot on this podcast about taking techniques from writing fiction to writing copy. But... And we have had another novelist on here, Richard Armstrong, one of your big fans, just a few weeks ago, but we've never had anyone who writes material as intense as you do. I'm talking about your fiction, although I could be talking about your emails. We've never had anyone like that on here before. Could you share what's different and what's similar about writing fiction and writing email? Yeah, you know, when I first wrote Zombie Cop, here's what I came, the realization I came to is it's like one of the, think of writing as the human body and fiction is working your legs and writing nonfiction is like working your upper body. It's, it's two different total muscles. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like writing fiction is just completely different, but it's all writing. 
And it's just you have to tap more into a, a narrative with fiction. You have to uh, – well, I'll tell you what, David. I, I think copywriters will all make the best novels simply because we're trained – if we're doing it right, we're trained to really work on that attention span, and we get bored probably easily. And if we're paranoid about boring our readers, we're not going to bore people like a lot of novels do because we're so paranoid. Like, I know I am when I'm writing copy. I'm sure you are, too. It's like, am I boring them at this sentence? You know, and, and with fiction, a lot of fiction is boring, you know. But if, if you go in there with this kind of copywriter mindset, um, maybe that's why the books are so short. <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, keep, I'm just paranoid. I'm writing this stuff. And I think copywriters just have a huge advantage if they use that because, you know, it's all about not boring people, keeping their attention, roping them in, telling stories, creating images. Uh, all the stuff we do write in copy, except we're writing complete fiction. Well, hopefully most copywriters are not writing complete fiction in their ads, you know, but, you know, there are a lot of dangers to that. So um, one thing I'm particularly interested in, and we talked about this, on the podcast a while ago, but I think you have a, a much better perspective than, than anyone else I can think of, is the whole issue of you want to have a narrative going on in your fiction. Um, you know, that's what the legs do. They walk somewhere. But um, the copywriters want to put the person's credit card in your, in your little <laughs> little device with your arms, right? I mean, so what what's the danger... And, and Nathan said something brilliant about this in the previous podcast, that sometimes when a story in copy is too good, you're going to get uh, people um, so emotionally worked up with the story that you're going to lose them for the rest of the copy. Could you talk at all about, you know, the, the limits of narrative and copy and maybe even things you had to work on more things you see other people doing that they should stop doing? You know, here, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and it's kind of ironic we're talking about this, actually. So many, I don't know, probably around 2008, 2009, I wrote a whole bunch of sales letters for this guy named Captain Chris Pizzo. Um, he he used to be the number one guy. He's selling. a fighting guy. Yeah, I knew. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, now he does, like, he trains, he does other stuff. But, but he was number one at the time, and what I loved about working with him, is he didn't just create products and, you know, sell them. This guy created, like, a world. He was a world builder. <laughs> like, and, and we very consciously, every product was a different story, usually, you know, about him or someone he knew. Um, like, every product was funny. Every product was based on a different special forces guy. So, you know, one was a Green Beret. The other guy was a, you know, what are they in the British SSA or whatever? Um, one guy was a Navy SEAL, whatever. But it was like a like you weren't just buying stuff from him. You were in his world. He created a world, like a story. Like he even, he even has been telling me, Ben, we should write screenplays based on this. And I think it would probably do well because he did such a good job of building a world. So if you built this world of, around your products, around all, around your personality, and all that, I find that a lot of problems disappear when it comes to people believing you, when it comes to people skepticism and all that. Because at the end of the day, I really believe this, and, and you know, there's nothing new about what I'm about to say. I mean, Earl Nightingale was saying it, you know, 70 years ago, but they're not really buying the product. They're buying us. They're really buying you. They're not really buying what you're selling. So they're buying you. It makes sense to put you as much as you can, or your client, if you're looking for clients, as much 
personality into that as possible. And then the stories might be, you know, I've never had that problem where I've told a story so well that, you know, they didn't buy. I, was, I mean, that's, that's me high level storytelling there. But, um, you know, I, I think this whole idea of world building is just something that's lost on a lot of people. I want to take a moment to point out how vitally important headlines are in copy. As you may already know, the strength of your headline accounts for up to 80 or even 90% of the effectiveness of your ad. Think about that. What if there were a way to shortcut the headline writing process and start a new headline based on a proven winner? Well, there is. It's all in my book called Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich. This book is available now on Amazon.com. Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich. What's unique about this book is it shows you exactly how to adapt a proven winner to your product or service. Because I show you 10 adaptations for each headline in different niches and explain the psychology of how to adapt a headline. Advertising headlines that make you rich in hard copy and Kindle formats on Amazon. Now, back to our show. That's a great point. And, and you know, in terms of putting you into the copy, it's, it's very interesting. So I've had a couple of conversations with people about that in the last week, that particular aspect of what you said. and. My contention and my experience based on doing a lot of critique is that the creative copywriter, artiste types, and I'm, I'm not saying that in a sneering way. I'm just saying the, the more, more creative type people, if anything, they might put too much of themselves into the story or, or too much of themselves into their copy. But business owners, business types, who've sort of been taught to edit themselves out of everything and, and just, you know, focus on the product or the features or the benefits or whatever, uh, don't put their personality in enough. And so I, I think the way you're talking about creating an attractive world around yourself or each either or even an individual product and inviting the prospect in so that they can partake in the benefits, the joys, the pleasures, the drama or whatever, um, that, that's a cool thing. What do you think about that? You know, you just reminded me of something that the three of us can probably all remember somewhat. I say three of us, you, me, and Nathan, but probably certain listeners of your show. We can all remember <clears throat> that crazy, like, ridiculous Facebook group I used to have, Old Bembo's Lair. Oh, yeah, um, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I will, I will tell you, I've never really... I've only talked about this in, in my newsletter before, but um, that whole thing was an experiment in world building. That's all it was ever intended to be because I've been learning this stuff. And it took a life of its own. And I was able to sell stuff without even having to really sell stuff because this world was creative. It was always supposed to be entertainment and satire. But I literally had people in there thinking that, you know, that I wanted to impregnate certain girls in their house. <laughs> That's the weirdest thing. It was so weird. Like, that was the, like, I had to, when I ended it, it was such a relief. It's like, this thing is taking a life of its own. It's like one of my monsters in my book. And, uh, but that's world building, right? It took yeah. a life of its own where, where people wanted to be a part of it. I was not ever even letting everybody in. I was purposely shutting people out. And I mean, it was this weird thing. And I just kept thinking, okay, what else can I do to build another block of this world? And I would throw, oh, okay, I'm going to have an immigration policy. <laughs> There's a wall up you know? <laughs> And uh, 
Oh, man. I'm, I'm so glad you said that. I never quite understood what you were doing with that. That puts it into perspective. And, and yeah, in terms of business, it works. It's, it's, it's way different than, you know, trying to be Saturday Night Live in your emails or something, right? I mean, this, this is like the most serious and both, I think, the highest and the lowest use of fiction and drama, really. It's just, I, I do want to oh, talk yeah. about e- e- emails a little if we could pivot to that. Um, okay? Um, okay? So your your emails are consistently bolder and more provocative than almost any others I've seen. And maybe I just haven't seen enough to see the ones that are even bolder and more provocative than yours. But um, I, I'm just wondering, in your own mind, would you say that you had rewritten the rules for yourself or did you just decide a long time ago that there are no rules? Yeah, you know, it all started, the, the whole mindset behind this started probably back in like 2003, before I was knew anything about email at all. But I had listened to this very, I don't know how you'd find this now unless you know people who run, um, the, they're not GKIC anymore, I guess they're no BS, uh, whatever they're, whatever it is now, Dan, <laughs> they keep changing the name, but if you know the guys who run that, you could probably find this because the, the new president asked me about this. He said, hey, you mentioned this interview. I'm going through the archives. Where is it? Well, it was an interview that Dan Kennedy did with this guy named Peter Montoya. Peter Montoya is a personal branding guy. And his books are nowhere nearly as interesting as his interviews, in my opinion. But yeah, I think he's writing, I think he, he writes to a more, you know, traditional business audience. But he said something that I'll never forget. And I'm always thinking about even to this day, 16 years later. And that is, he goes, you, you never, you, you won't know you've gone too far until you've gone too far at least one time. I have yet to go too far, David. I, mean, I keep trying, but yeah. I don't, you know, so, it so, doesn't so that, seem to be a power. I, I get that. So, so your, your whole um, mission is push the envelope to see where it breaks or to see where, you know, I'm a violator or something like that. Is, is that right? And and so far, in all of your explorations, you haven't found that place. I, yeah, and it's not like a matter of, oh, I'm going to be, you know, offensive or anything. It's just being as personality-driven as I can. And I don't even really get that personal with people. I just get, like, it's just, I just don't have any governor. So you ever, like, rented a, yeah. a U-Haul truck or something? They put a governor on mm-hmm. so you can't go past the like, I just don't have a governor. And whatever's on my mind, I say it. And it doesn't seem to really have a limit yet. Yeah, you're, you're not, I don't find you offensive. I find you provocative. I think there's a big difference. But um, anyway, so it's a distinction we could spend half an hour on. Only you and I would, and Nathan would care. Uh, could you give us a few, if, for people who have, still have governors or don't even understand that concept of physics, could, could you give us a few Ben Settle tips for writing emails to get noticed and get response? Anything? Yeah, well, the first thing to do is, is for people listening to this, I mean, I know that copywriters are, were taught to have swipe files and all that. I don't believe in really having those anymore. I, I think you should when you're starting out to learn and all that, and I, I still study ads, but you almost want to do the opposite. Uh, I just wrote about this, actually, in the April email players issue. It's all about uh, violating your industry's norms, which is another thing I learned from Dan Kennedy. What is everybody doing? Well, in email, I see everybody doing certain things. They're making their emails look pretty and all that, right? So I've always been a plain text guy. That's easy to violate. 
Um, I see people only sending an email when they have something to say, which isn't necessarily bad, but there's a subconscious thing going on with your readers. Well, you're supposed to be this expert at what you do. You don't have something to say every day. Like, they're not thinking that consciously, but if they're getting emails from your competitors every day and not you, well, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to send more emails. In fact, one email a day isn't enough for me now. Now I'm starting to do like two or three a day. And it's little things like that that you're not – like, just think of all the things you're not supposed to do and then just do the opposite and see what happens. I love it. I love it. I think I can sort of um, – Nathan, you might want to jump in here. I can sort of – I remember Albert saying he was like a giant meat cleaver that would cut through the audience <laughs> and polarize them. I think what Ben just said, our audience is going to be like that. Half of them are going – yeah, you go, boy! And, and the other half is going, oh, no, oh, mommy, did you hear what Ben said? You know, so <laughs> that's, that's really, I love that. Um, so tell us about email players, and then I have one more. People want to get it. What is it? Can they still get it? And what do they do? Well, email players is a monthly print newsletter. Most well, it's email, but I I veer off the reservation sometimes and talk about other related stuff about copywriting, persuasion, all that. The best way to check that out is just to get the free issue I give away at bensettle.com when you opt in, and then you can see if you like it or not. And uh, but that's a free issue, so that's, you know, you can test it. Okay. You can see if I'm full of crap or not, whatever you want to do with it. Bensettle.com. And then yeah. uh, if you don't mind, unless it's under wraps or you have some NDA with a BC or a PE or a F or whatever, <laughs> Um, can you talk about this publishing empire that you were building? Well, I, I really, this, I've been learning a lot from Dan Kennedy my whole business career, but mostly lately I've really been honing in on certain things I've heard him say almost off the cuff. And he made me realize once when I was listening to this thing he was doing, where what business are you really in? I mean, I'm not really a copywriter. I realize I'm becoming more of a publisher. I publish a print newsletter. I publish emails every day. I, I have this medium, and, you know, I think everyone should try to control their own media eventually. Is that way you're not at the wiles of, you know, being deplatformed and all this. And I realize I want to focus more on that, the publishing side and, and uh, basically medium publisher. Now, you know, that, that has a lot more potential to it than just email specialists. And, and sure. so it is. So that's so that's that you know, and I have a, I have I do have some some things in the like I've been rapidly creating products and turning my old products just into print books, which is another violation of <laughs> industry norms, right? You're still, I have no digital component to these products, and they're more expensive than when they were digital, and I'm going to put together a a way where people can sell those, but not like through a traditional affiliate channel, do something completely different. But that's a whole other like that's a whole other aspect that. If it works, it's going to grow things quite rapidly. If it doesn't, then so what? But I'm always I'm thinking more like a publisher now, and less like just a an email guy. Okay. Wow. Well, well, this is fascinating, uh, Nathan. Since most of this is your doing, and I greatly appreciate it. Um, do you have any questions or thoughts for Ben before we wrap up? No, I just want to say I thoroughly enjoyed this, getting to listen to two of my favorite copywriters uh, just kind of shoot the shit back and forth has been something that I've been waiting for for a long time. So I just want to say thank you both for putting this conversation or, or being willing to put this conversation together. I'm sure. Ben, uh, you ben and I, I enjoy that when, when we have a chance to get together, which is rare. 
um, I'm, I've always enjoyed that. And yeah, Ben, thank you for being on. I- Until next time, if you want to get more of your copywriters podcast fix, you can head on over to copywriterspodcast.com. Ben, thank you so much, David. Thank you so much. And we will catch you later. All right. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes so you never miss an episode. This show was brought to you by the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.